Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Clint McLean. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Paris, Tai Tuivasa versus Cyril Ghosn. And Clint, it's going down this Saturday night in Paris, France, Paris, live from the Accor Arena. You got the former interim heavyweight champion, Cyril Ghosn, taking on the number three ranked heavyweight, Tai Tuivasa. It should be an action-packed main event for the UFC's debut in France. Yeah, man, it's a good card. First off, thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk fights with you and break stuff down. This should be an entertaining card, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it as well. You know, it's funny. I've had you on the show before, but I'm pretty sure that last time we were like recapping a card. So I think it's the first time we break down a card together on, on Half the Battle. So it's great to have you on. And I mean, it's cool to do it in a car like this where they're breaking ground. This is new territory, man. I mean, for the longest time, France, MMA has been banned. Like, if you were caught like throwing some underdog shows in France, like they're taking away your promoter's license, they're sending you right to jail, they're throwing away the key, they're doing the whole bit. And not only are they bringing a UFC card to France, you got the first, I'd say, French champion, Cyril Gan, interim champ. I mean, listen, he's got a UFC belt at home, Clint. So uh, he's the first ever French champion. And I'm not talking about French Canadian, I'm talking about French French. So it's yeah. pretty cool to see. And I mean, he's taking on a certified banger in Tatu Ivasa. No, it's great matchmaking. They're definitely doing a good job taking the first show over to France. And can you believe in the year of our Lord 2022, man? It took them this long to legalize MMA in Paris, France. I, I mean, better late than never, but uh, they're definitely doing them right, giving them a good hometown show. There's some good names, local names on the card that they're promoting. So, yeah, man, it, it should be good. Those people are in for a, for a treat there. They get to go see this one live. I mean, I say it often, man. We live in primitive times. I mean, you know, New York wasn't legalized till like what 2016. Like, I mean, that it seemed it feels like it was just yesterday when uh, UFC 205 happened, when McGregor fought Alvarez, and you know, it's it, it's crazy. And there's still tons of other places where the sport's not legal. So UFC uh, keeps covering new ground, and it's going to be amazing to see how this all unfolds. But Clint, without further ado, let's get right down to business because the main event of the evening, we got the former interim champion Cyril Gan. He's 10 and 1 representing France. He's, he's uh taking on Tai Tuivasa, who's 15 and 3, uh, representing West Sydney, Australia. And currently they got it. Cyril Gan minus 600, Clint. The comeback on Tai Tuivasa is plus 425. So, I mean, listen, we, we all agree that Cyril Gan should be favored. It's just do we agree that he should be favored? To this extent that, that that's the big question here right like i'm not about to parlay no minus 600 on cyril even if i think that he's you know the more athletic guy even if i think he's got the better volume even if i think he's got more passive victory at heavyweight you're playing with fire you know tai tuivasa mark hunt 2.0 he's the 2022 version of mark hunt you know that if he can't do anything else he can knock somebody out climb up on the cage and do a shoey he's good man he's definitely good the hometown crowd they won't be silent for long if he wins. I know they'll be sad when uh, Cyril Gan goes down, but once that shoey kicks in, I, I think people will kind of come around a little bit. He's uh, he's an entertainer, man. Tuivasa is the man. You know, kind of like we say with uh, Paul Craig for the culture. We all we, we all cheer for Tai Tuivasa to get the win, no matter who he's fighting, because it's just good for MMA. This is a fun fight, man. And honestly, you nailed it. I think Cyril Gan should be favored. I think he should be the rightful favorite here in this spot. He's a lot bigger. He's crazy athletic and fast for a heavyweight. That size advantage, the potential grappling advantage that he has, that's all stuff that I think makes him a deserving favorite in this spot. But if you're ever going to give a guy a puncher's chance, 
you know, Tai Tuivasa is the kind of guy that that plus money starts looking real nice on. You know, I did my podcast a couple of days ago on Monday, had my guy Dan Tom come on, and he broke this fight down so beautifully that I'm tempted to take a stab on the underdog here on Tai Tuivasa, Dan. I really am. You kind of take away a couple of those things, like the offensive wrestling, Cyril Gan. He got slowed down by Francis Ngannou. I know that's a different stylistic matchup, so you can't, you know, compare apples to oranges there. Ty's not going to take Cyril Gan down or anything like that. But Ty showed, showed some decent get-up game, you know, in his fight against the Black Beast this last time out. So if Cyril Gan takes him down, is it just a game over button right away? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Ty Tuivasa seems like he's got underrated cardio for how big he is. He carries that power with him. He can match Cyril Gaon in the leg-kicking game. Will that slow down Cyril Gaon because someone's finally chopping his legs out in a fight? I don't know. Like the, This is a very, very interesting fight. I'm not going to be laying the price tag with Cyril Gaon. I'd be looking more at like Cyril Gaon by sub. I think that's got a decent shot to hit if he wants to expose that ground game weakness. I think Taitu Avasa, you know, I wouldn't play around with the props because, you know, his money line is like plus 450 and the KO is like plus 500. So... <laughs> you're not really getting a whole lot of extra value there, but tie tie by nuke would be kind of the way that I would look at it. I got a hard time seeing this fight going all 25 minutes, but I say that every time Cyril gone fights and we find ourselves deep in the fourth round with him, you know, picking and poking and running away. So, you know, don't, I wouldn't touch the total on this one personally, but I kind of feel like somebody is eventually going to get finished just because of the way tie fights. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and it's funny you brought that up about, you know, I was thinking it's not going to go 25 minutes and this and that because it reminds me of Cyril Gaon's last fight. Everybody gave me so much shit for taking Francis Ngannou money line, which he was like, what, plus 125, plus 130. They're like, why don't you just play him by KO? Why don't you just play him inside the distance? I'm like, the guy I'm picking outright is already the underdog. Why am I about to get cute? You know, on, on some shit. Like, I don't know That's what's right. going to happen. Yeah, I think he's going to knock him out, but it's MMA. Anything can happen. And lo and behold, he goes out there and puts on a wrestling clinic for three of the five rounds. So I, I like that. Um, here with Cyril Gaon, what's interesting about him, I mean, we talk about the range strike and we talk about the fact that this guy's six foot five. We talk about how he's got the 81 inch reach. He's got a six inch reach advantage over uh, Tatu Ibasa. But some of the more underrated elements in his game, just in terms of a heavyweight, is you don't often see heavyweights going for leg locks and like for the little guys that's actually like a big red flag but for the big guys since there's like not i mean who else can you think of that goes for leg locks as a big boy really not too many i mean when you think of submission artists in the heavyweight division i mean back in the day you'd think of frank Mir. uh you know i know you got a toe hold like once or twice but this dude cyril gone he's got like two wins by leg lock inside the ufc even drop for leg lock against francis Ngannou. uh don't be surprised to see you know if Stuff might not be going his way on the feet, which it should go his way. But if it doesn't, I mean, this guy, Taito Ivasa, can crack. Like we said, if when all else fails, Taito Ivasa can still knock anybody out. So here, here's the thing with that, though. Cyril Gaon ain't exactly Mr. Double Leg. Cyril Gaon ain't exactly Mr. D1 Wrestling. Like Cyril Gaon ain't about to come out here. I don't think he's about to double leg anything. I think it'd be more from the clinch, maybe a trip takedown or something like that. But. He's the kind of guy that'll pull guard and go for a leg lock. And while that might not work against, uh, you know, the heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou, I wouldn't be surprised if it worked here. So even though conventional wisdom says that these two are going to bang it out, don't be surprised to see, you know, some of that unorthodox grap. I say unorthodox grappling, at least like it's just rare grappling for heavyweight standards. You don't see heavyweights going for leg locks. This is the guy that does it. So, I mean, I'm not gonna be surprised to see a serial gun leg lock, but ultimately, I mean, here's the thing, man. 
Tied to Ivasa closing that distance, I don't care how much better of a, of a striker you are. I don't care how much more credentialed you are in your kickboxing career. This dude closing the distance on anybody is a scary thing. So you cannot count out his... his and it, it sucks to say that the number three guy on planet Earth only has a puncher's chance, you know, because it seems kind of disrespectful. But at the same time, I don't see Tatu Ivasa coming out here getting takedowns. I don't see Tatu Ivasa coming out here, you know, hugging Cyril Gaon, killing the clock. I see it closing the distance, uh, landing big shots, that big left hook, maybe trying to slow down the movement with some leg kicks and in the clinch trying to break away with that big elbow that he's got. So, yeah, I see it being a good fight. But ultimately, you know, I think he's minus 600 for a reason, even if I'm not going to lay that price. It's just trying to figure out how it's going to go down, right? Like, that's the big question. It's easy to say that Cyril Gaon's going to win. Yeah, he's minus 600, but how's he going to win? Is he going to be a knockout? Is he going to, you know, is it going to be a competitive fight? Is he going to point him up for five rounds? Is he going to drop back for a leg lock, you know? And one thing I want to say about Taito Ivasa is when he first came into the UFC, he'd always been talented. I mean, he's always kind of, like I said, been that Mark Hunt 2.0, that 2022 version of Mark Hunt. And when he came in, he was still that guy. But there were certain things that needed to be addressed, like you mentioned, maybe maybe the cardio, maybe the ground game, maybe this, maybe that. I feel like he's been patching some things up. I feel like this version of him, you know, he went through that three fight skid. Uh, I feel like he's humbled himself. And as a result, now he's number three in the world. So I definitely have been liking what I've been seeing. I like the improvements. And if someone were to take a one unit shot at plus 450 odds, like I'm not going to talk shit about it. This guy can knock anybody out. But ultimately, I, I do, uh, you know, side with the minus 600 favorite here. Agreed. Definitely. So co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division, we got the former middleweight champion, Robert the Reaper Whitaker. He's 23 and six, taking on Marvin, the Italian dream, Vittori, who's 18 and four. And currently they got it. Robert Whitaker, minus 210. The comeback on Marvin Vittoria is plus 180. Interesting fight. You know, I mean, I think that Whitaker is better across the board, but it's also one of those things where I always, for some reason, have questions about guys that he's had his two title shots. Where's that motivation at, right? Like, yep. you know you're not going to beat this guy, Izzy, even if the last one was close. You know, and another thing about that fight, I thought that Izzy clearly won the fight, but because... It was closer than people expected because Izzy coasted a couple rounds. People try to act like uh, Whitaker won that fight. Whitaker did not win that fight. Whitaker maybe won a round or two, but Whitaker did not win that fight, period. You know, you have to win three rounds at least to, to win a five-round fight. He did not win three rounds in that fight. Two rounds at most, but it was a step in the right direction compared to the first fight. No questions asked. It's just after coming off that loss, you know, do you still have it in you to to put your shoes back on and go through another camp and you know, try to, you know, rack up three more wins in a row to make it to that title shot once again. I hear his interviews talking about how he wants to go to 205 and this and that. So I don't know. Um, Never a good sign. Because the thing with Vittori, so he's not as talented as Whitaker. He's not as athletic as Whitaker. But he's got that delusion of a world champion. Let me explain what I mean. <laughs> this dude lost to Izzy 5 nothing the second time. The first time he lost 2-1. But the second time he lost, what, 5 nothing or 4-1 or something like that? So his corner, like, they all got their heads down. They're all like, yeah, we clearly lost the shit. But Tori's like, dude, I won that fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this guy's absolutely delusional. And you need that delusion to be a world champion, especially when you're not a six-foot-four, you know, freak athlete like Israel Adesanya. You don't have this kickboxing pedigree. You know, Israel, you remember 
those dances he used to do like on the walkouts and shit. That's like some real athleticism. That's some shit. You'll never see Marvin Vittori doing like 10 backflips and, you know, doing dance routines on the walkout. And it's not because it's not who he is. He can't do that. You know what I mean? So Marvin Vittori has got to make up for it in other ways. He's very mentally strong. He's one of those guys that doesn't take no for an answer. So I would actually argue that uh, that Vittori is hungrier than Whitaker at this point. It's just, Clint, does it matter because Whitaker, I think, technically speaking, is the better fighter here? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, Dan. I talked about this one on my show that I am I'm a firm believer in Marvin Vittori. The man is psychotic, and I love that self-belief that he's got in himself, and that'll take him places. You know, he's been just handling everybody that the UFC has put in front of him. The Paulo Costa fight was... It was close, but I think it was clear he impressively won that fight. You know, he's chomping at the bit to get another title shot. He wants to get back to Israel Adesanya. And let's not forget, he's, what, 28 years old? Like, this kid has a long way that he can still go. The miles on Robert Whitaker have got to add up eventually. The problem for me is that there's no knockout threat coming from Marvin Vittori, right? He's a grinder. He's a grappler. He'll put pace on you. Robert Whitaker faces those guys, chews them up, and spits them out like they're nothing because he has no problem going 25 minutes and keeping a pace. He has no problem using the jab, sticking and moving. I think that this fight could play out extremely close. If Robert Whitaker has lost a step, if his motivation is down just a little bit, then this fight gets very interesting all of a sudden. But I almost feel like that's the kind of thing that has to happen here. I think Marvin Vittori is someone who I want to be invested in moving forward. I think there's a lot of matchups that he'll be able to beat people that, you know, you kind of don't see coming. But at the same time, this is a tough matchup for him. Again, I agree with the favorite being the favorite. It looks like a little bit of money has come in on Marvin Vittori. I talked about maybe taking a stab at him when he was at plus 195. He's plus 180 now. So apparently somebody out there also thinks that Marvin Vittori is live in this spot. I'd be looking at laying the chalk on this fight goes the distance, Dan. I think the one thing that you can really count on is the durability of Marvin Vittori and the fact that he can't finish anybody. So even if I question the durability and the willingness and I don't want to say the heart, but like the desire for Robert Whitaker in this fight, he's not tapping. He's not going to get knocked out. So like, I think we're going to see a 15 minute fight. I think it could play out closely. I'll probably play the fight goes the distance. That's a parlay piece. You could do either guy. Pick your poison by decision. The split decision prop, Dan. Plus 400 on DraftKings. Have this fight be close and the judges not know which way to score it. That's maybe the way I'm looking here. But I will say Robert Whitaker probably gets his hand raised on Saturday by decision. But I would not be shocked at all if Marvin Vittori comes out and makes it interesting. I mean, I think what you're saying is logical in terms of it going 15 minutes, but I also think MMA is not a logical sport. That is so I, true. I, I think that Marvin Vittori, you know, similar to Leon Edwards, okay, maybe the finishes haven't been there, but there's been glimpses to where maybe a finish could materialize. Like, for example, in that Marvin Vittori versus Jack Hermanson fight, okay, it went all five rounds, but Marvin did land a knockdown in that fight. You go to Leon Edwards, like, a lot of, mo most of his wins were decisions but he had knockdowns in in those wins right like the gunner nelson fight like he dropped gunner nelson in that first in that first round i believe um he's had other fights where he's dropped it just hasn't finished them but the material the the finish materialized later when he fought uzman so i'm just saying and then on the whitaker side a lot of these fights have been going to decision but he's been getting hurt in these fights you know the the till fight in the second round he got dropped with an elbow the jared cannonier fight in that third round he was wobbling all over the place so Yes, it's logical to think that this fight goes five, 
I mean, excuse me, goes three. It should be a five round fight, by the way. But it's logical to think that it goes three based off their history. But again, man, anything can happen. Like with that Glover versus Yuri fight, I was like, yeah, but there's no way Yuri's going to sub him. And then Yuri subs him. So, I mean, I'm not going to write off a, a, a finish on, on either side here, let alone on Vittori. Like, I know that he's known for his decisions. I, I know this. I know he's not known for finishing anything. But Whitaker has been dropped in many, many fights. Whitaker's been wobbled in many fights. This dude, Vittori's hungry. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like I'm leaning towards Vittori, but I don't know. But I, I just think Whitaker's so much better than him. It's just at what point do we start to be concerned about Whitaker not being Whitaker? And I feel like I've been saying this for the last few fights, and he's been showing out. Me too. And I guess it's also because I'm, <laughs> I'm bummed out because, like, back in the day, I remember betting Whitaker at dog odds against Derek Brunson. I remember betting Whitaker at dog odds against Uriah Hall. Like, you know how stupid that sounds right now? Like, could you yeah. imagine a world where Robert Whitaker is an underdog to Derek Brunson and Uriah Hall? I bet him in both those fights as an underdog. So now, you know, everybody's caught on that this guy's fucking good. You got to lay minus two something on him. You know, I, I feel like I've already, you know, cashed in on Whitaker and, and I'm good now. You know, I, I don't need to lay minus two something on him. I've already gotten my dog money in the spots where he was undervalued. Now the market's caught up. He, he is where he should be. So I'm good on it. To me, it's is Vittori ready to, you know, kind of. Should we say get over the hump? Because, I mean, he's gotten a title shot before. It's not like this guy's been struggling, but get over the hump in, sense, in the sense of is he ready to be the number one contender in the middleweight division? Because to 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 beat Robert Whitaker, I mean, to be the number one contender, you have to beat Robert Whitaker, period. Dan, I swear, if Marvin Vittori gets his first knockout win in the UFC and it's over Robert freaking Whitaker, <laughs> I will lose my mind he's he's 12 to 1 to win by ko and just because of this conversation i'm gonna have to throw some beer money on that bad boy but yeah i <laughs> i hear you man i hear you it's uh we're seeing a mass changing of the guard in the ufc today right like all these young hungry prospects are finally getting one up and over these veterans and, and it's happening week after week after week i already said i get why rob is favored I'm tempted on the dog. I think this fight is going to play out closely. And even though I, I see what you're saying, I talked about the, you know, the drop in the, uh, in the Jack Hermanson fight myself. I just don't know that Rob is the guy to get caught by a stiff jab like that from Marvin Vittori. So I still think this fight is probably going to go 15 minutes. The time is coming that we will get a knockout prop against Robert Whitaker. I don't think it's Saturday, but I do think it's coming pretty soon here. I personally, I hope Marvin Vittori wins. I think that would be a fun, you know, shift up of things in the division really show that he is a top five guy. He's going to get another crack at the title. And who knows what happens if Israel Adesanya doesn't keep the belt. You know, it would be a, a fun rivalry to see those two guys in there with each other again. I'm excited for this one. And then on the flip side, I'm curious to see when the time that Vittori finally goes down is because this guy, he's got that block head like Izzy like to talk oh about. This guy's got a granite chin. You watch his fight with Paulo Costa. One doesn't simply eat 163 strikes against yeah. Paulo Costa. And someone can say, oh, but Paulo didn't knock out Luke Rockle. It's like, yeah, but if you watch that fight, firstly, Luke was very uh, defensively responsible. He was kind of running away the entire time he had his hands up because in the past when he's gotten caught, he's taken a lot of risk. He didn't take too many risks in this fight. And and put on your tinfoil hat. Paula Costa did knock out Luke Rockle with a with a body shot, but it was called a low blow. So you know, and then they both gassed out in in the Salt Lake City elevation. So it was what it yep. was. But um, you know, a lot of us think that 
that fight should have actually been stopped with the body shot. Similar to, you remember when uh, Kamaru and Colby fought the first time and, and you know, there was a, a body shot yes. that was called a low blow and there were face shots that were called eye pokes. And, <laughs> right. Hey, listen, it's a vet tactic. I respect it. it you know, I, I respect the towel trick. I, like, I respect grabbing the fence. Like, I know people cry like bitches about it, but to me, it's like, if you know the rules, play by the rules in terms of gaming the system like if you know you can get away with two warnings three warnings all right then fucking take advantage of that man John I mean, Jones always day, took his first two eye pokes man <laughs> this, is, this is a fist fight at the end of the day so you got to do what you got to do and you know know others to know yourself to know others period so yeah i'm gonna go whitaker but i'm just sketched about it because at some point i think that drop off will come i just don't know when it's gonna be so i don't know no Great. confidence but Definitely not laying the chalk. That's all I look forward to the fight, though. I look forward to it. It's going to be a hell of a fight. I mean, what Robert Whitaker fight is not a hell of a fight. So, exactly. And Vittori is a hungry dude. So, yeah, I like it. All right. Featured bout, you know, it should be Charles Jordan versus uh, Nathaniel Wood, but I guess the featured bout is Alessio DiCarico versus Roman Kopalov. So, we got Alessio DiCarico. He's 13 and six representing Italia, taking on Roman Kopilov, who's 8-2, representing Russia. Currently, they got it minus 110 apiece. So I get it. He's an Av. His name's Kopilov. So you think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the Russian at pick em odds. But it's like there's some asterisks there, guys. He's not your typical Russian. He's not your typical Av. Like this guy's not going to come out here and grind anybody out. This guy's more of like a, a point striker, um, not the most threatening, not the most physically imposing. I do kind of think that he might be a little better than he's shown in the UFC. Um, and also, I know it's really it's a terrible look to get submitted by, uh, what's his name, by Carl Roberson, but you got to put context into it. This was Carl Roberson before his mojo had been taken from him. you know. And at one point, Carl Roberson, and people were talking like he was a hot prospect. So just because now he's damaged goods, just because now he's washed up, doesn't mean that that was always the case. At one point, the kid was a prospect. And that's around the time when he beat Kopalov. So Kopalov fought a confident Carl uh, Roberson. He didn't fight the Carl Roberson with no mojo. So yeah, you know, I'm not making excuses with him. That's just kind of, for him. That's just kind of how I viewed it. And then the Duraev fight. Look, Duraev uh, put it on him. Duraev whooped his ass. But Roman still had a moment or two. I think he might have even wobbled uh, Duraev in that fight. So it's just about you know a young kid like this. I mean, he's got to still be in his 20s, right? No, he, he's not actually. He's thirty-one. <laughs> it's funny because like he fights like I once he every was. like <laughs> he, he he barely ever fights. Like he fought in two thousand nineteen, then he didn't fight again until twenty twenty-one. So like the years passed. So I still view him as like that kid that was like, fighting in Russia who who was in his twenties, but now he's thirty-one, which is still young in my opinion. Um, and with Alessio Di Carico, I mean, I think it's always been the same case with Alessio Di Carico. He's just kind of just solid, nothing special, just just average, you know can stick around in the UFC for a little bit. My issue with Alessio Di Carico is, you know, when you're laying chalk on a guy like Di Carico, I laid chalk on this guy against Gareth McClellan, who thinking like, oh, this is about to be easy ass money. He made me sweat during that shit, right? Um, so all I'm trying to say here is that like he can fight competitive with a lot of guys for sure. But when you're laying chalk on a guy like that, don't expect him to come out here and show out. It is all I got to say. So I expect this to be a closely contested fight. Not really sure which way I'm leaning, but I'll I'll pick uh, Di Carico just because of the experience and that. But I'm not going to be surprised to see Roman Kopolov show a better version of himself. You know, got those first two fights under his belt. Has an opponent here who's not 
you know, who's not like this world breaking talent, who's not, you know, some like Alessio DiCarigo is just average. So it's not going to surprise me to see Roman Kopalov come out here and win this fight. But based on what I've seen right now, I'll go with DiCarigo, but I don't think he's going to run away with it. I don't think he's going to, you know, make some kind of statement. I just think it's going to be just a, a close ass fight. Yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you. This is another potential split decision prop I think that you could hit. I know that Hopilov is going to have the uh, advantage here on the feet. The problem is the kid made it all the way to the UFC without learning basic grappling defense. Like the last fight he was in, he got mounted like he he had no defense whatsoever stopping his opponent getting there to mount. And then once he got mounted... Dan, I know you do jujitsu. I know you've been to grappling class once or twice. Day one, they teach four-year-olds. You bring your elbows in. You put them on your opponent's thighs, hands on the hips. You bump. You explode. You push away. That's how you get out of mount. And this kid is laying flat on his back with a world-class MMA fighter on him, throwing hammers from the bottom. Like, how do you get to the UFC without knowing basic mount defense. Now, I know you have to use, you know, not both hands in MMA because you could get punched in the face, but wing and hammer fist from bottom ain't it, Dan. Like, that's his ground game is so atrocious. I can't trust Alessio DiCrico anymore. He never turned into the fighter that I thought he could be. He pot shots. He's low volume on the feet. Reminds me a little bit of Sam Alvey. If he catch you with a big one, he's got power. He can put you down. But the rest of the time, he's going to be losing the kickboxing fight because he just doesn't throw enough. Now, back when he first got into the UFC, Alessio actually used his grappling pretty regularly. His last couple fights, he's kind of forgotten about wrestling. If he goes back to his grappling in this fight, Dan, I think it's going to be a minus 500 spot. Like, Alessio is just going to maul Roman Hopilov on the ground if he grapples. The problem is I can't trust him to necessarily go out there and grapple. And as long as this thing is a kickboxing match, you're just going to be screaming at the TV for him to throw more. And I don't want to have my money in that spot. I've done that a few too many times. I'm not a fan of yelling at the TV because the guy just doesn't feel like throwing. So I'm going to be in the same boat as you. I'm going to pick Alessio DiCarico. However, I'm, I'm not going to be betting this fight. Are we calling Alessio Di Carico uh, Italian Sam Alvey? Is that what we're doing here, Clint? That is what we're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I think the issue with Kopalov, I don't think it's that he, he doesn't know what he's doing per se. I think it's more so sometimes in the heat of the battle, you know, he, in the heat of the moment, certain people do uncharacteristic things. Like Chris Wadman, before he got hit in the head so many times, you could say he was a pretty intelligent guy or whatever. Like I doubt that he was out there practicing those spinning hook kicks, you know, like he was, like he did in that Rockhold fight that cost him his belt. Like I doubt that that it was his plan to, yeah, I, I'm going to throw a spinning hook kick and then land on the ground and get pounded out. Like, I think that it's MMA, Dan, if plan it, a fails, you spin and kick. That's, it, that's what you do. It, it was heat of the moment. Whereas I doubt Roma Coppola was practicing getting mounted and then throwing punches from bottom in the gym. I think, I mean, I think he knows what to do there. It's just, you know, Durayev's a very heavy guy. Durayev's a very scary Russian heat of the battle heat of the moment you know he did some stupid shit so is he gonna do that stupid shit again here i mean i don't know i really i really have no idea how this fight's gonna play out i think that the minus 110 is appropriate based on how i view it but others might view it differently others might think that there's a clear path for this guy or for that guy or you know alessio's got a big edge here and kopalov's got a big edge there 
I just don't see it before the fact. Maybe after the fact, you know, maybe someone's going to come out here, get a first round knockout. Maybe someone's going to come out here, win three rounds uh, decisively, and it turns out it shouldn't have been minus 110. So, yeah, but going into it before the fact, I don't know shit about how this fight's going to play out. So, to me, it's minus 110 apiece, I think, is accurate. So, may the best man win. I'll, I'll lean DiCarico, but I, I don't know, you know? And it's okay to say you don't know. You don't have to bet on every single fucking fight. You don't have to, you know, throw darts and this and that. I don't know. So, I'll sit back and watch, period. Agreed. And everybody, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button for me. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. I really appreciate it. So, Next up in the lightweight division, we got a bit of a grudge match, Clint. We got Nazrat Hakparas. He's 13 and 5, taking on John Macdesi. Or as we like to say in Paris, France, Jean Macdesi. He's 18 and 7. And currently, they got it. Hold up one second. The, the fight odds, odds are like kind of like crooked. So, like, you don't know which one's for which fight. So, I'm going to pull up best fight odds. Okay, they got it. Oh minus shit! Thirty plus one ninety-five. It looks Man. like Na- Nazrat Hakpras minus two thirty. The comeback on Jean Macdesi is plus one ninety-five. Yeah, I had to look it up to make sure that was the right fight. Like, goddamn, <laughs> that seems kind of wide. I mean, listen, I think at this point, no disrespect to Nazrat. I enjoy watching him fight, but I think we can say that he's kind of a busted prospect. Um, he's not the guy that people thought he was going to be. Listen, he's still aggressive. He still can crack. He still comes to fight. He's still experienced. I respect him. He's going to probably stick around for a little bit. But, you know, the way people were regarding him when he was on his little streak and when he first came into the UFC it was like this guy. You know, he was like a minus 330 favorite against Drew Dober, right? So people have consistently been overvaluing him throughout his entire career. I mean, Bobby Green was only like minus 150 in that fight. I bet him there. Um, Bobby Green, that is. And then John Magdesi. So, like, what's interesting about John Magdesi is, firstly, he's been in the UFC since, off the top of my head, I think it's 2010, but let me just double check that. So, this dude's been in the UFC since, yeah, 2010. I was correct. When you can stick around in the UFC for 12 years, Clint, for over 12 years, like, that, that counts for a lot, man. That is, like... How many times do you see guys, you know, don't even get past their 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 first contract and they get released? You know, two fights and out, three fights and out, four fights and out, don't even make it to their second contract. You see it time in, time out. I mean, how many times do you see people complaining about, oh, my God, this guy got cut. Oh, my God, that guy got cut. This and that. This dude has been in the UFC 12 fucking years. So that right there, you uh, you tip your calf to some shit like that. You know what I mean? So much respect to John McDessey for passing the test of time, ma- making it this long. And whenever I count this guy out, you know, that last fight against uh, Baja Mondes, you know, in, in retrospect, uh, there was a lot of value on McDessey in that spot. But I thought Baja Mondes was going to c- come out here and kick McDessey's jaw into the fifth row. Turns out he did, he did, it, he did it to his next opponent, but, uh, you know, he didn't do it to McDessey when I wanted him to. Um, McDessey will surprise you when you least expect it. And, so here's the thing, man. I mean, when you look at the numbers, they match up pretty evenly, like in terms of the, you know, the strikes land and the strikes absorb, blah, blah, blah. The volume, the pace is pretty, you know, consistent with both. Here, here's my concern, though. Nazrat's 10 years younger than him. And that counts for a lot for the most part. Now, I know Bahamondas was also like 10 years younger than him, and it didn't matter. But, you know, it's been like over a year since that fight. Uh, not that Nazrat's getting any younger, but Macdessey's certainly not getting any younger. So 
at some point, there's also going to be a, a drop off for a guy like Mike Desi, who's already had broken jaws before, who's already talked about retirement before. But there's also the surgery a for this fight. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, only fights once every few years and this and that. But like, there's also a chance this fight plays out closer than the line in the case because we know what Nazareth brings to the table. He's, you know, he's a southpaw. He's got a nasty overhand left. Like, we know this already. Um, from time to time, he can bully certain people. But uh, MacDessy has got a very disciplined style. He's got a Taekwondo background, kind of doesn't take any unnecessary risks, kind of plays it safe, and kind of just pot shots guys a little bit. I mean, we saw someone just pot shot Nazra at one fight ago. Now, granted, I think that Bobby Green's got way better hands than Mac Desi, but just saying a veteran showed that, you know, he had some tactics in the back pocket for for a young kid like uh like Hack Brass. So the reason we gotta talk like this is because Hack Brass is minus two thirty. Minus two thirty implies that Hack Brass is gonna come out here, swing that big overhand left and break a Mac Desi's jaw and be done with it and get a performance of the night bonus. And I'm just thinking to myself, if that doesn't happen, this has the potential to play out as a three-round fight that's very close. You look at Nasrad's last, what, four fights, man? I mean, I don't really think that he looked that good in, in the Rafa Garcia fight. Like, I thought there were some sketchy moments. I thought that my boy was a little soft around the midsection. I thought the Dan Hooker fight, like, hey, now we're giving you your – this is your chance to come out here and make a name for yourself against, you know, an established guy who takes a lot of damage, an established guy who's there to be hit, who's been in the wars. And, you know, Dan Hooker looked like he got a fucking scholarship to Penn State uh, for their D1 wrestling program, you know what I mean, in that fight. And then the next fight, Bobby Green looked like Floyd Mayweather against him. So to me, I I'm confident saying that Hack Prast is a busted prospect. I'm just not confident saying that Mac Desi wins this fight. I just, I, I really don't know. So I, le I lean Hack Prass. He's 10 years younger. You know, he's got a four-inch reach advantage, blah, blah, blah. They can keep up in pace. But it's not going to fucking surprise me if Mac Desi comes out here and weasels out another close split decision, assuming, you know, his jaw doesn't get launched. Completely agree. Completely agree. Dan, I completely underestimated John McDessie, especially in that Bahamondes fight. I said awful, terrible things about John McDessie. I pronounced him dead on arrival for that fight. That was the spot where the UFC was trying to, you know, launch a future star off of the name of an old veteran. And he came out and punched my guy in the mouth. I mean, John McDessie is not a guy that you can simply walk over. He's still got it. He hits hard. He's got that game sense. He definitely hangs in the fight. The toughness is all still there. Yeah, Nazareth as a busted prospect doesn't necessarily scream like value to me in the minus 200s. I don't want to lay that kind of a price tag against a guy like John McDessie. Both guys coming off injuries. Both guys coming off of surgeries. You, I, it's a complete stay away from me, Dan. It's dog or pass because of everything that's going on. But at a certain point, these older veterans, especially at the lower weight classes, the speed goes. They just drop off a cliff and then they're not quite what they used to be. I was ready to pronounce him dead last fight. I'm not going to do it again this fight, but I have the same exact concerns. I have the same exact fears. So I'm going to pick Nazrat to get the win. I think the split decision, like you said, is actually a half-decent look, and I wouldn't blame anybody for taking a shot on the dog in this fight. I don't know that either of them are necessarily going to get the finish. I didn't know this was a, uh, a bad blood fight until I saw the clip that the UFC put out just like earlier this afternoon that I guess... They used to be training partners, and that's one of those things where just that extra little mental edge 
for John McDessie is like, oh, okay, all right. Like it, it kind of entices me a little bit more on the dog side, thinking he's coming in with that chip on his shoulder. Uh, but definitely going to be a fun fight to watch. I hope it's a banger. I hope they both get, you know, swollen puffy faces and bleed all over the cage for us. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it, man. I'll, I'll pick Nasrat to go ahead and squeeze out a decision win here. But again, not going to be at all surprised if this one's close. You know what's funny about that? Like I kind of view it oppositely and I hope that you're right and that I'm wrong because <laughs> oftentimes with these grudge matches, like you hate the guy so much, you, oh, I can't lose to this guy. So they, they play it safe. They, they don't want to take any unnecessary risks and get caught and they kind of just stare at each other. Whereas like if you get two friends in there, they'll bang it. They'll bang it out, dude. <laughs> like they'll go out there and fucking leave it all on the line when you got two friends in there. But when you got two guys that don't like each other, they're very tense. They don't want to take that unnecessary risk. Because so you can't lose. You can't it, lose it, to the guy that you hate, Dan. You can't run the risk of being the dude getting flatlined and and have the you know the UFC tweet out the clip of you going down. You that extra pressure of being the one on the wrong end of the punch is, is awful when it's a guy you hate. <laughs> exactly. So there's a difference between fighting not to lose and fighting to win, right? So let's let's see. Let's see the approach. Now Next up, also on the main card in the featherweight division, we got two UFC debutantes. We got William Gomi. He's 10 and 2. It says he's representing France, but he's actually from Senegal in Africa. He's taking on Jarno Ahrens, who's 13 and 3. And currently, they got it. William Gomi, minus 215. The comeback on Jarno Ahrens is plus 185. So, I mean, I kind of view it like this. You guys know that. You know how I feel about the African fighters, man. I mean, I talk about it all the time. A different kind of physicality, different kind of power. Also, super tough. Um, it's just what I don't like about this kid, William Gomi, is the volume is on, kind of on the lower side. Like, if these guys are going to bang it out and, you know, William Gomi is not going to knock out uh, Aaron's, I think Aaron's got more volume than him on the feet. Um, that's one thing. Like Aaron, he's very long. He's tall. Kind of likes to, you know, throw side kicks to the knee and front kicks to the knee, and kind of likes to bust up that that lead leg and this and that. He's going to be the more active guy standing. It's just that when William Gomi actually decides to go, you know, his explosiveness, his athleticism, his physicality is on a different level than this Aaron's guy. So it's like. The volume is going to be there for Aaron's, but the, the bigger moments are most likely going to be there for Gomi's. And then the the point that, you know, separates them is on the mat. You know, not that Gomi's is some D1 wrestler or anything, but, you know, Aaron's does get taken down in a large majority of his fights. William Gomi's has shown, you know, some somewhat competency on the mat, so I can see him kind of edging it out there. Not exactly sure. If minus 215 is warranted in this spot, um, I kind of just got to see how they perform under the bright lights because sometimes you'll see certain things in the regional footage, but then they come to the big show and perform completely different. So I, I just got to kind of sit back, see how they perform and take it from there. I'll lean Gomi to get it done. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one. I actually kind of like Gomi from a, you know, DraftKings perspective. I think he's got some finishing upside here in this fight. I don't want to lay minus 215. I'm not a big fan of laying that kind of price tag on unproven fighters. 
He's a little low volume for me. I'm going to make that Sam Alvey comparison again when it's on the feet. He he does the pot shot thing. African Sam Alvey. African Sam Alvey. They're all over this card, man. It's They should just get him a VIP box for this one since they're bringing all the guys that fight like him in here this week. That's kind of my concern. He's got big power. He's definitely fast. He's definitely athletic, but he just doesn't let it go. If he would let it go, I think he would be a lot more effective. But the biggest issue for me here is the ground game, the grappling. Gomi's got some nasty ground and pound, man. The elbows, he's super active and unloads once he gets in dominant position on somebody. And I've seen this Jorno Aarons just make egregious mistakes on the mat, man. He lets people get their hooks in once they get that, like, you know, that side back control that wrestlers like to use where they got the they got the seatbelt hook on you and they go to work punching. He just lets people take the full back. Like as soon as as soon as you get to that position, he's like, oh, you want the hooks in for a rear naked choke? Go for it. Go for it. Go ahead. So Gomi's going to have no problem with this guy once it hits the ground. And I think he can absolutely finish there, whether it's a TKO or a submission. That's up to him. But I think it's going to be super live for him to get a finish in this fight. As long as it's on the feet, I think it will be close. But I think Gomi will lure Aaron's into that low volume back and forth type of trade that he likes because he can back you off with that power. You know, whenever he hits you, you don't really feel like coming forward and eating that again. So even though I think Aaron's could win on volume, I don't think he will because he won't like getting hit. So yeah, man, I think it's Gomi's fight to lose. He's going to be the hometown guy. He's training with, uh, you know, the main eventer here in this spot. He comes out of the same gym, I believe, as uh, Cyril Gon does. So I kind of expect him to be the guy that's getting propped up here, and I expect him to get the win. Maybe inside the distance uh, is the way to go. So kicking off the main card, we got what I like to consider the featured bout and the fight to watch. In the featherweight division, we got Charles Jordan. He's 13-5-1, taking on Nathaniel the Prospect Wood, who is 18-5. At what point do we stop calling him the prospect? You know, At what point... I mean, but I don't want to call him a busted prospect either because I still think he's a super talented guy. Like, I don't think he's been figured out or anything. I, I still think he's his better years are ahead. So, but he's been the prospect since he was like fucking 12 or some shit. And Damn, now he's a, these he's a young fighters, <laughs> so, somebody needs managers, teammates. They got to get in with these young guys and explain to them when you set yourself a fight name, you're going to have that until you're 50 years old. Like you got to think about what you want to be called. Cause you're right. Like he's going to hit a certain point that it's like, damn man, do I want to still be called the prospect? Like if he got a UFC belt, are they still going to call him the prospect? Like you got to think about these kinds of things, man. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. So a lot to talk about in this fight. Cause obviously, you know, it is at featherweight Nathaniel Woods moving up at featherweight. And I hear a lot of people talking about how, Oh my God, it's a, a Bantamweight versus a guy that used to fight at lightweight. And I'm like, guys, like just stop. Like that's, that's irrelevant. And the reason why it's irrelevant is how many times have you seen guys move up in weight class and look amazing? Look at the guy in the co-main event of this car, Robert Whitaker. I bet a lot of y'all forgot he used to fight at 170 pounds and you know, was kind of like a 500 fighter there. Lost to court McGee. Uh, lost the wonder boy like dude uh was you know he was talented but it was kind of sketchy goes up to 85s goes on a fucking title run dustin poirier now he was a top five guy at featherweight but when he moved up to lightweight he became an interim champion so i'm just saying like you can't look at it from the lens of oh this is a bantamweight versus lightweight you cannot do that you'll be yeah. making you'll be doing yourself a big disservice looking at it like that 
Like, and I'm not sitting here saying Wood's going to win. Maybe Wood wins. Maybe Wood doesn't win. But all I'm saying is that's not the angle that I'm approaching this from. You cannot do that. You're putting yourself as a, at a disadvantage long term looking at fights like that because how many fucking times do you see these guys look one way in one weight class? You think, oh, yeah, he's too small for this upper weight class. And then they – I mean, Kelvin Gastelum, you know, was hit or miss at 170. Goes up to 85s. I know now he's on kind of the downside, but at the time that he did it, made it all the way to an interim title shot against Izzy and gave Izzy – Arguably his toughest fight to, to date. I mean, he hasn't returned the same since then. But prior to that, dude, he there was at one point in Kelvin Gastelum's career when he had an 100% knockdown rate at middleweight, meaning every single middleweight he fought, win or lose, he knocked them all down. So all I'm trying to say is that Nathaniel Wood moving up to, four, uh, to 45, that's not a bad thing like you cannot view it as all what's this little midget doing up with the big boys you cannot you cannot view it like that is all i'm saying here this is not you know hunt sucker dropping a 205 or it, it don't fucking matter what weight class hunt sucker fights at you know nathaniel woods a skilled guy the guy was apparently killing himself to make uh 35s i doubt he ever goes back to 35s ever again even if he loses this fight here so now the question is what's the ceiling on wood at featherweight that that's what i need to know because i think that he can definitely beat some guys he's a very skilled fighter i mean you already know about his leg kicking game and it's not just the calf kicks i mean look at that stabbing front kick keeps his hands nice and high i know he's there to be hit but i also have questions of is the durability is his reaction to these shots gonna be better without having to kill himself to cut weight anymore you know because i mean like even dustin poirier was criticized you know at featherweight when Akira fucking Khorasani dropped him to one knee. Then he goes up to uh, lightweight, and, I mean, he's eating Justin Gaethje's flush shots. He's eating, you know, so I'm just saying, like, moving up will help your durability out. And another thing that's interesting, because you look at the size difference between Charles Jordan and Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's five foot six, so you think, like, oh, what's this little, what's this little midget doing here? And actually, by the way, the champ in this weight class is 5'6". Between you and me, he's, like, 5'5 five, five <laughs> or 5'4", five, but... He's listed yeah. at five six, but I'm just saying. He just got TKO'd by Hasbullah, though. <laughs> Yo, Hasbullah <laughs> set him up, man. I, I didn't see that, that coming. That was gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can't do shit about it either. You know what I'm saying? But um, anyway, so Nathaniel Wood, uh, he's actually like a long five foot six. Like he's got a longer reach than Max Holloway. He's got the same reach as Charles Jordan. So like, and what's funny is when he fought Casey Kenny, they're both listed at the at the same height. But Nathaniel Wood looked like the longer guy. So he's got like long arms and is like tall for a short dude, if that makes sense. Like, he, like, like, because here, here's my point. Like, you look at like Chad Mendez, right? Like, back in the day, same height as Nathaniel Wood, five foot six, but he's like short, stocky, you know, probably has like a 64 inch reach, right? Like, you know, whereas this kid, Wood, is kind of. He's a tall, short dude. He's got like a 70 inch reach for a five foot six guy and he fights long. That's the interesting thing. But his opponent also fights long. And his opponent, I am very, very impressed with Charles Jordan. And I've been impressed this whole time. And I hear people talking about how Charles Jordan can be broken because he got caught in a dar choke by Julian Arosa. And I'm thinking to myself, if you've ever grappled before and you've been caught in a dar choke, like when you get caught in that choke and it's fully locked in, like what? how is that breaking? Like the choke was locked in. What are you supposed to do? Like, fucking pull a knife out and stab him, pull a lighter out and burn his armpit. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? Like, you get caught in the choke, you get caught in the choke. So I don't view that as, 
oh, Charles Jordan can be broken or this or that. I view that as he got caught. When a guy that's six foot one, like Julian Arosa is, gets those long arms, you know, you know how the long men are with the long man chokes. You know, they got a Chico with them long arms. And I thought Charles Jordan actually looked good in that fight. He dropped Julian Arosa, which a lot of people tend to do. But you guys know the blueprint on Julian Arosa. You either drop him and knock him out, or you drop him, don't knock him out, and he comes back and wins the fight. <laughs> like that's always the case with Julian Arosa. But since that fight, I feel like Charles Jordan has, tr- has turned a corner. The Uwul fight was an absolute clinic. Uh, the next fight against Lando Venata made easy work of him. The Burgos fight, now I know it was in New York, Burgos. You know, did he get a hometown decision? Did he not? This, that, yeah, whatever. Maybe but but the but but the bottom line is like, did he not? Is he not like the only guy to like really really whoop Burgos on the feet? Cause like, look, I get it. Cater and Barboza, you know, they both knocked out Burgos, but those fights were competitive. Standing like both guys had big moments back and forth striking. You know, in the in the Barboza and the Cater fights, like there was rounds won by both guys. Whereas with Charles Jordan and and Shane Burgos. Shane didn't want to bang with him. I've never seen Shane Burgos not want to bang with anyone before. That was eye opening. The reason Shane banked rounds, you know, people talk about this this weakness in grappling for Jordan. If he really had a weakness in grappling, he would have been submitted in the first round. Yeah, he got held down, you know, and it was what it was, and that's something you need to address. But I don't think that's indicative of oh, just take this guy down one time and you're gonna win the fight. Like I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a Melvin Gillard situation where you know you you put in a choke that's not even fully locked in. He's gonna tap out. I don't think it's like that at all. I think this kid Charles Joran is super tough, and maybe you can you know stall and you know kill the clock a little bit by holding him down, by taking him down. But I don't think you're just gonna come out there, pass him out, pound him out, take his back, choke him out, you know this and that. So. I think his ground game is underrated, but on the feet is where it's at with him. I've never seen Shane Burgos unwilling to trade with someone. Like, can you name me the last time Shane Burgos was unwilling to trade with someone? Because, like I said, when he got knocked out by Cater and Barboza, those were wars up until up until uh, those points. So, here's my thing: I lean Jordan, I really do, but I still kind of got to see how <laughs> my dog's barking. Does that mean that Nathaniel Woods about to win? Um, <laughs> I still kind of need to see like what what Nathaniel Woods really going to look like against a real guy at, at featherweight. This ain't no Charles Rosa anymore. Where respect to Charles Rosa, he's like stupid tough and stuff like that. But in saying he's stupid tough, like he's he's slow, he's unathletic. He you know he, he can just he can just take an ass whooping is what he can do. He's really fucking good at getting his ass whooped. Um, but Nathaniel Wood, you know, and Charles Jordan, this is a completely different fight. I think it's going to be competitive. I think it's going to be fun. I'm just curious of like, because I was questioning, does Nathaniel Wood, you know, sometimes his reaction to shots are a certain way. Was it because of the weight cuts or is there actually maybe, you know, a question about the chin or not? That question will be answered Saturday night, Clint. I mean, Charles Jordan is going to test that chin on Nathaniel Wood. So I really want to see what happens there. We know Charles Jordan is a slow starter. Nathaniel Wood's a very fast starter, man. So I definitely see Nathaniel Wood coming out here winning this first round. But beyond that, what happens there? What what happens once Charles Jordan finds his uh, range, finds his groove, and starts getting into his flow? Because his flow is fucking scary, and it's been getting better as the years progress. He was born in 1995, Clint. He's just a kid. So yeah. I got Charles Jordan, but I expect it to be a serious fight. 
Dan, I'm right there with you. You broke that thing down gorgeously. You said everything that I could have wanted to say on this fight. And I think Charles Jordan getting minus 135 is a, a steal of a line, honestly. I, Nathaniel Wood is a kid that I know we can't keep it as simple as he's too small in this fight class. We, we can't keep it that simple, but it's a factor. It's something we got to keep in mind. You know, people talk about Charles Jordan and his uh, bad takedown defense being able to be out wrestled and that's something that he struggles with and Nathaniel Wood has been able to take some people to the ground before but that size all of a sudden comes into question here is he going to be strong enough to out muscle a guy like Charles Jordan will Jordan feel out of place on the ground will he be able to kick off and get back to his feet if he wants to I think he probably can and he was able to handle everything a much larger man like Shane Burgos was able to you know throw at him from a grappling perspective in his last fight and damn near break the dude in half in the third round We've seen Nathaniel Wood slows down the deeper the fights go. You may want to accredit that to the tough weight cut and something that's down a weight class, a problem that he had before he jumped up. But I'm not so sure that's the case, man. He starts fast, and as soon as that second round comes around, he's just a little slower. And then that third round, he's a little slower. And in the second round, he starts getting hit a little bit more. The leg kicks come a little more naked. The counter shots start landing a little harder. Like That's been his whole career. We've got... Charles Jordan, a guy who cranks up the volume in his fight the deeper it goes, versus Nathaniel Wood, a guy that starts fast, is a little undersized, and slows down the longer the fight goes. That's a perfect recipe for a round three sprinkle, baby. I think Charles Jordan is going to knock out Nathaniel Wood in the second or the third round. And honestly, I don't mind 135. I know there's a lot of love coming in on Nathaniel Wood. Drive this line down. Give me a good number. I'm sitting tight. Let's see how low this goes. But I also think, there's a good chance Nathaniel Wood wins that first round just because of the way this fight matches up. If you want to roll the dice, you know, we've seen Jordan go, th go out there and choke somebody out in the first round. You completely miss your chance on the fight if you play it that way. But this is a nice live betting spot, in my opinion. If he goes out there and loses that first round, all of a sudden you're getting plus 120, plus 150 on Charles Jordan, the guy you know is going to be in the fight deeper. And then you're not laying chalk on it. That's kind of the way I like to approach it. I may not be able to live bet this week, Dan, so I might have to bite the bullet early going in on this one. But I agree with you. Couldn't be there with you more. I like Charles this week. Uh, Leo's barking, so I don't know. I don't know. Whenever the dog barks, you never know if the underdog is going to come through. But all, all I'm saying is, even though I do lean, you know, Charles Jordan, of course, I, I do suspect Nathaniel Wood is going to look better at this weight class. Like, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, what's this little guy doing moving up? Um, I think he's going to look better at this weight class, to be honest. Um, but he's not, this is no tune up fight. This is no give me. This is no, you know, get your feet wet. Charles Rosa was the get your feet wet. Now you're in here with, with, with the sharks. So let's see. Let's see. I'm very excited to see how that one plays out. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between two German fighters. We got Dustin Stoltzwitz. He's actually from the States, but he's got a German lineage. Uh, he's 14 and 4, taking on Abus Magomedov, who's 24 and 4. You'd think with a name like that that he's Russian, excuse me, but he's actually German. Currently, they got it. Abus Magomedov, minus 260, the comeback on Dustin Stoltzwitz, plus two plus 230 um i've been waiting for abus to make his uh debut for a long time you know i remember him back in the pfl i uh, really enjoyed his fights you know shout out to my boy lewis taylor who actually beat him in the finals fucking love lewis taylor that's, that was that's, awesome. the, that's the homie 
Um, and that's, I heard the, you guys- that's the feel good story, Dan. That's the the guy you want to see win a million bucks gets the gets the win by KO like that at the end of a tournament. That was a good time. Yeah, that, that was great. I heard you got a bet on this fight, so I'm going to let you take it first. Uh, but while we do this little switch from me talking to Clint talking, everybody smash that like button, hit that subscribe button. And Clint, uh, I heard you got a bet on this fight. Yeah, man, I do. It is rare. It is rare that I come out and I just lay the wood. It's something I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with, I think. I've had a few too many parlays bust on something like a Leon Edwards head kick, if you know what I mean. So I'm getting more comfortable with, you know what, if I've got a guy that is my my A1, he is my steak sauce for the fight night, I don't want to tie him to a B-string read. I don't want to tie him to something that is not quite as confident and have my parlay get cracked in half because of that second leg. You know, that's that's what happened to me last week where uh, I had to find that other parlay leg. I wanted Paulo Costa. I knew that. But who to tie him with? Well, Usman seems safe enough, right? Nope. So this week, Dan, I am just loading on my guy, the bus. You know, Abus is a... Uh, Actually, he's Dagestani, so he is technically Russian. They moved to Germany when he was like 14, 15 years old or something like that. So he's got more of a striking style than he does that classic grappling game that you see from these Russians. But it's in his back pocket. He can still grapple. He knows what he's doing there on the mat. But his striking is nasty. And you talked about his PFL run. Dude, he looked like a complete monster in those first couple of fights in the PFL. And then you get a young kid competing for a million bucks against a hard-hitting veteran in the PFL finals. He slipped up. You know what I mean? You, you got to respect those veterans. You can't go in there with a big head thinking you're just going to run through them. And he didn't respect his opponent. He got caught. He paid that lesson. And we haven't seen him for two years. You know what happens when these 29, 30-year-old kids disappear for two years and then come back and you peep their Instagram and they're in the best shape you've ever seen them? He's been in the lab, Dan. <laughs> I expect this guy to come back, look better than he ever has before. And they're throwing him a bit of a bone here with my poor guy, Dustin Stolfos. Now, I've gone to war with Dustin a couple times already. I think he's a bit underrated. He's got a hard-nosed grappling style that'll cause some people problems, but he's shown that he makes bad in-fight decisions. He's shown that he can get outstruck by a guy like Dwight Grant, who's a 170-pounder coming up on short notice to 185, and he damn near let that guy beat him (laughs) just a couple weeks ago. So... I think this is a beautiful spot for Avis. He's going to have a massive speed advantage on the feet. If Dustin decides to test his striking out in this spot, I think he's going to get put down. I think he's going to get put down bad. If Dustin comes out and grapples the way that we've seen him do before, even if he is able to outgrapple this man, which I'm not convinced he can for 15 minutes, we've seen him fall apart in the second and the third rounds of fights. So even if he ends up getting up 1-0 or 2-0 going into the, the end of this fight, Dustin can still melt down for me and I can still get a win out of this thing. Honestly, I think Abus is going to run through this guy. I think it's going to be a first or a second round KO. Maybe he, you know, locks up a sub when Dustin makes a mistake or something like that. But I think the majority of this fight is going to take place on the feet. People are not ready for what this kid can bring. The way he roasts the body, the way he uh, has that fast one-two down the pipe. Dustin's going to have a big wake-up call when he gets touched by this guy. He's been durable up until this point, Dan, but I think Abus is going to knock him out. Wow. I like the conviction. He's very, very confident in this spot. And I respect and I respect it. And Leo's barking. So I wonder if Dustin is is live to (laughs) cash me another dog because I bet him in that last fight against Dwight Grant. I did too. Um, So this is a tough one, man, because it's like Abus 
obviously very talented, no questions asked. I mean, you saw the run he had in PFL, you know, knock dudes out with body kicks, with punches, can wrestle, can do it all. I, I just have questions if the finish doesn't come about what kind of dominance are we looking at? Because when you talk about, what is it, minus 270, like I need some guarantees here, right? And I think Stoltz was, I know he didn't get off to the best run, uh, but I thought that, I thought he had moments in most of those fights. You know, I thought that he won a couple rounds. I thought he won a round or two against Gerald Mershart. I thought that the Rodolfo fight was very close until the very end. And then the Dwight Grant fight, also a close fight. But the bottom line, the the recurring theme is that these fights are pretty damn close. So can he make this one close too? And the reason I bring that up is because when Abus isn't getting those finishes, Abus's fights tend to be kind of close too. Like just not... When I say close, he does the Russian coast, right? Like a little bit more on the lower volume side. Rounds can be up in the air before big moments. So stuff like that has me actually tempted to take maybe a half unit shot or a one unit shot on the other side, but not with, uh, you know, not with any huge conviction either because I, I, you know. We're talking about a Magomedov here. Even if he's a German Magomedov, he's still a Magomedov. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to pick Abus, but I'm not as confident as you. And if he destroys Dustin Stoltzwist, then holy shit, that's that's a great hammer spot for you. But I can just totally see this, you know, playing out closer than the line indicates. So let's see. Let's see. I can respect it, Dan. I, I really can. And I don't like laying chalk big on debutantes like this generally, but this is a spot where I can't ignore how that last fight played out. You know, I can't ignore how Dustin made it so close with a guy that he should have dominated in Grant. You know, if Grant is strong enough to cause this guy problems in the grappling and the striking, Abus is definitely going to be able to cause him problems in those areas. As long as it's on the feet, Abus is winning. He can catch him in a sub on the ground. And honestly, Dustin is a guy that just doesn't have enough activity on the ground. He's kind of a blanket wrestler type of guy. So even if he gets two minutes of control time in a round, he still might lose that round you know what i mean I, I just think it's a good spot for abus we'll see it's always a risk when you go that hard on a single fight but uh, i think he's a solid favorite spot here all right so let's speed some things up so next up in the lightweight division we got farez yami's 12 and 4 representing france taking on michael figlak who's 8 and 0 currently they got it uh Figlak minus 200 the comeback on ziam is plus 170 i took ziam plus 170 here one unit only one unit. Um, listen, I think Figlak's actually very solid. I think he's got a bright future. Definitely no questions asked. Um, but I think that Zion's being a little bit underrated here. This is actually the biggest underdog price he's been in his entire UFC career. And when people talk about, oh, he's got no ground game, I think that there needs to be some context put on that. I, I think that certain things need to happen for Figlak to dominate him on the mat. Like if Figlak takes him down, but Figlak actually just stays in his guard and doesn't try to pass, that's where I think Figlak can kind of hold him down. But one thing that I've noticed uh, Ziam do is he kind of likes to give up his back to get back up. Firstly, Ziam's takedown defense is actually pretty damn good. It's just once you get him down, him getting back up is the issue. But the, the trend I've noticed is if you're going to just hang out in his half guard or his full guard, that's where you can hold him down. But if you try to pass him out or, or you try to take his back, that's where he's able to explode and, and get back up. Unless you're like a first round finishing specialist like Terrence McKinney, which Figlak is not. Figlak is just kind of like a solid, well-rounded dude who definitely deserves to be here. But I think at range that Ziam is the much sharper fighter. Even if the volume's on the lower side, I think that um, 
he's able to make his opponents fight at that slow pace because he's very, very sharp with his kickboxing. And he's only 25. And I feel like once this kid starts to feel comfortable, I won't be surprised to see him start getting some knockouts in there. So I actually do not see this as a minus 200 plus 170 type fight. I see this closer to pick him. So for that reason, I took a one-unit shot on Farazian. I respect it, man. I, I see the same thing as you. I'm right there with you. I did not pull the trigger on the underdog bet, though, just because of the way Farazian gets controlled on the mat. It's a spot where as long as this fight is standing, I think it's pick him or maybe slightly favored for Faraz. I think he, he can win a kickboxing match here pretty cleanly. And like you mentioned, the takedown defense is getting better. He's got good hips. He can get those things back. He can stay in this thing. But if he does ever get his butt put on the mat, I can see him just losing a straight five minutes and poof, there's one round gone in this fight. So I think Faraziam is very, very live here, uh, but I am not comfortable with his undefeated opponent stepping in here into the UFC. So I do think it's dog or pass from a betting perspective. Personally, it's going to be a pass for me because Faraz is a guy that I just have... I've had mixed results with. So I'm similarly to the last fight for me, man, you're much more convicted than I am here. I wish you luck. I think you're on the right side, but I'm not going to put a bet on it myself. I just got to share a little bit of personal news that I just got, bro. So uh, I just passed my first real estate exam, bro. Bro, yes. Like the score just came out, man. Oh, my God. So Congrats. I had to do, so I had to do a 75-hour prerequisite course and – and you have to pass that. There's only one exam for that prerequisite. You do the 75-hour class, and then you pass that prerequisite course, and then you're allowed to sit for the state exam. So I fucking passed it, bro. Bro, you know, get I, it. You don't understand the relief right now. Holy Congrats, shit, Congrats, dude. That's oh huge. God, that is awesome, man. Not to fucking cry, bro. But anyways, uh, <laughs> next. So, I mean, when you talk about my conviction, it's a one-unit shot at plus 170. I just think the line's off. You know, it's not a max bet or anything. But no, I, for sure. You know, but still, I... Let's see. Let's see if there is value or not. You know what, Dan? We talk about these fights week in and week out, and we pick winners and losers all the time. You putting any money on a guy is a conviction that I'm talking about. I know it's not a max bet. I know it's not a huge thing. But at the same time, just saying, hey, this underdog is live enough to get the win. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. That's enough for me. That's more conviction than I have in this fight. So, you know, I'll wish you luck. <laughs> Uh, next up, thank you, brother. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Nasardini Mavov. Wow, this fight's early on the card, huh? He's eleven and three, taking on Joaquin Buckley, who's fifteen and four. Currently, they got it. Nasardini Mavov minus two seventy-five. The comeback on Joaquin's plus two twenty. That see, that's my issue. You know, I love, I love me some Nasardine. It's just minus two seventy-five. Like if it's minus two seventy-five. You better come out here and fucking starch this dude in the first round, which he has been starched in the first round before. But I'm just saying, like. I'm not sure if I quite see that result. Maybe, maybe not. But one thing about Buckley, like we know he hits hard. We know he's talented. We know he's athletic. But like, you know, there's always been some shaky moments here and there. But dude, I thought that that Duraya fight was the best performance of his career. His combinations had never looked faster. His takedown defense had never looked better. Never looked better. I just felt like his all-around MMA game. He really put it together in that Duraya fight, and it was a big step in the right direction. So here in this fight, what's interesting is obviously you consider Nasruddin Imaval to be the longer guy here being 6'3 versus, you know, 5'10. But it's actually Buckley that's got the reach advantage. But e even with Buckley having the reach advantage, Nasruddin is the longer guy. 
So Buckley's going to have to close the distance with big looping hooks, which he is known for. That's where Nasreen can get off on those straight punches down the pipe. But in the clinch is where I also think it's interesting because you know that Nasreen can tie up. You saw that Phil Haas fight. That was a fucking grueling-ass war. But I think that Walking Buckley's been getting better in that area too. So while I do lean Nasreen Imavov, man, uh, for sure, I just don't know if I – minus 275 is not a lean price minus 275 is oh this guy's gonna come out here and fucking starch him price do you view it as a minus 275 fight or maybe a little closer maybe a little closer but honestly dan i don't know how much closer nasardina mavov is just turning into the dude for me you know i i saw this guy coming a mile away and i took a big step back when he lost to phil hawes but his last couple fights He's turning that corner. He's coming around. He's a serious prospect that I think is going to be a problem for a long time. And I know D1 Buckley has been a thing lately. He's shoring up those wrestling chops. That grappling is starting to get showed off a little bit. But I think he's got a long way to go before he's ready to compete and hang with somebody like Nasruddin Mavov in the grappling department. So I think this is Nasruddin Mavov's fight to lose. The way Buckley strikes, I think he can pick at him with those uh, nice tight straight shots that he fires from the outside. And then if this thing does turn into a grind, I'm going to take Nasruddin there. So maybe a little wide, but not by a lot. I, I think Nasruddin Mavov should win this fight as long as he doesn't get nuked. And even if he does get caught, I'm not convinced it'll be a one-hitter quitter that puts him out. I think he can walk through some fire and stay in this fight. I think the favorite is uh, justifiably so. Yeah, no, and I get it. it it's just I, I just don't view Buckley as, you know, Sh Shabazzian, who's got one big round, and then after that kind of folds up at the first sign of adversity. No. He carries I, that I, power late. And the line was much closer for the Shabazzian fight than it is here. So that's why I kind of see it as if this was the same line for the Shabazzian fight, you know, minus 150 Imavov, okay. But minus 275, minus 275 means that, you know, Buckley, you know, Buckley's just going to come out here, get knocked out real quick, pack his bags and go back to the United States, take that long ass fucking flight. So let's see. Let's see if Imavov handles him that way. But I, I do agree with you. I think Imavov is that guy. And I've been high on him while people were low on him. I love the guy. It's just, you know, it's all about the price. Minus 275 is a steep Absolutely. ass price. And Buckley's been making improvements. So let's see. Let's see. Agreed. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Benoit Saint Denis nine and one taking on Gabriel Gabriel Miranda, who's sixteen and five currently. They got it. Benoit Saint Denis minus two eighty five. The comeback on Gabriel Miranda is plus two forty. Now this is a spot where I agree with the minus two eighty five. Did like the Imavov line? That should be the line in this fight because, listen. I like Gabriel Miranda. He's exciting. He comes to fight. This is a guy that comes out there and, you know, he takes dudes down in the first round and submits them, man, and he does a great job. And it's it's fun to see what he's done with his regional opponents. It's just that here at the UFC level, Clint, to, to quote Conor McGregor before uh, the Chad Mendes fight, he's too small. He's too small. <laughs> he's too small. Bro, this dude is not a fucking lightweight. This kid needs to drop the featherweight for the UFC division. And when you want to talk about tough, when you want to talk about a tough-ass dude, you talk about Benoit Saint-Denis. I mean, I know for a fact, you know, like when, when growing up, when your dad used to, you know, bust out the belt when you need some disciplinary, uh, di what is it? This, this, uh, fuck, what is it? Disciplinary action. Um, you know, you either cry like a little bitch or you take it like a man. When when my boy Benoit Saint Denis took that ass whooping against Eliza Zaleski, he Ooh. took that ass whooping like a man. That's how a grown ass man takes an ass whooping. And then he comes back against a much lesser opponent. And the way he handled that kid was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this guy, he's legit. 
He's about to handle Gabriel Miranda, in my opinion. I think he's going to get him out of there, and I think he covers his price tag. I, Dan, I couldn't agree with you more. We can save some time on this one. I, the only thing I think Gabriel uh, Miranda is live for in this fight is a one-round guillotine. If he doesn't snatch the neck when Benoit Saint-Denis comes in for a takedown and tap him out in that first round, he ain't getting it. That's just the way that it goes. Benoit is the uh, more physically stronger of the two. He's a real 155er. He's also the guy that relies more on his wrestling offense as opposed to pulling guard or trying to drag his opponents down to the mat. You're going to get Benoit on top. You're going to get Miranda on bottom. And then I think Miranda has the worst gas tank of the two. So maybe, you know, at this weight class, he can last a little bit longer. But from what I'm understanding, he's got a longer or worse travel situation as well. So if he's not completely acclimated, that could play into this fight as well. Benoit Saint-Denis is a parlay piece for me at some point, Dan. I'm trying to figure out right now who I want to pair him with, whether that's someone like Nasser Dean or, you know, one of these other favorites on the card. I'm probably going to do a small two-legger parlay with Benoit involved. As long as he keeps his neck safe on that uh, takedown entry, I think we're good. So, Penn Ultimate Fight. We got Kali Tahi, he's 13 and 4, taking on Christian Quinones, who's 17 and 3 in the Bantamweight division. And currently, they got it. Kali Taha minus 111, the comeback on Christian Quinones, or comeback is minus 109, basically a pick him. So, I did my job. I took Christian Quinones plus 118. So, I'm happy I beat the line there. And this is the reason why I took Christian Quinones. Yes, Kali Taha has fought the better level of competition. Yes, Kali Taha is the harder hitter. No questions asked. But the bottom line is Christian Quinones, he's got a style that I really like in terms of beating low volume fighters. This guy is going to double up. Uh, Taha on output, pops his jab, has really good movement, is is defensively sound, good takedown defense. But specifically with this matchup, you guys know that there's a few angles that I just go after time after time after time. One being the relentless wrestler angle, the guys that can just shoot takedown after takedown after takedown without getting discouraged. That's not this, but that's one of the angles. The other angle is the young prospect against the washed up vet. You know, I fucking love that angle. But then there's this angle, which is the low output guy who doesn't throw shit versus the high output guy that if this goes to decision, uh, the high output guy's going to win. Look, basically, can Kali Taha knock out Canonas? Yes. I mean, Canonas has been knocked out before and does have a little bit of that tall man's defense. And, you know, with his style, doesn't really plant uh, his feet too much. He moves a lot. So he's there. So he will be there to be hit. But the output difference is huge. And I love a guy with double the output at dog odds. And Kali Taha, we know what he brings to the table. He's either going to hurt you really badly or he's not. And if he doesn't, I think Christian Canonas comes out here and wins this decision. So I took one unit at plus 118 on Christian Canonas. Let's go out there, double him up on strikes, and don't go down. You know, And I think we win this fight. So I got Christian Canonas. You could not have broken this fight down better, Dan, but for the exact same reasons that you listed – I'm looking the other way. <laughs> you did your job. You got that plus number. The line has moved. I'm waiting to see how low this thing gets. Maybe I'll take the knockout prop with Khalid Taha. I might even take me a little bit of that round three sprinkle on Khalid Taha because Christian Quinones is hittable, because he's got that tall man defense. Because of the double output, I know he's not going to put away Khalid Taha because this man is made of steel, and he's still going to be there with that power in the third round where we have seen Quinones slowing down. So exact same breakdown i tend to like the other side but i want the better price on it yeah i think khalid taha is a guy that he's a bit of a measuring stick in the ufc at this point but he's got some decent performances against ufc caliber opposition 
Christian Quinones, while he does have a decent uh, game plan, you know, I like the way that he fights. His style is good. I just don't know that he's UFC caliber. I'm not overly impressed with the wins that he's got. And the fact that he's been hurt in so many of his regional scene fights, I think somebody who's UFC caliber and dare I say on some good vitamins is probably going to be enough to put him away at some, some point. Great vitamins. So, <laughs> yeah, man. So I think, uh, I think Taha probably gets him out of there, but I also agree with you that it's more of a one hitter quitter type situation. It's a matter of, he's got to catch him. He's not going to be winning minutes. So, yeah. you know, like I said, maybe the inside the distance or the knockout prop for me, but I'll lean on the side of Khalid Taha here. Yeah. I mean, we both understand the dynamic. It's just, I hope that this way goes. You hope that that way it goes. Exactly. We, we'll see which one <laughs> takes place. And last but not least, we got Aileen Perez. She's seven and one, representing Argentina, taking on Stephanie Egger, who's seven and three, representing Switzerland. And currently, they got it. Stephanie Egger minus two seventy five, my friend. The comeback on uh, on uh, Aileen Perez is plus two fifty. This is a really interesting fight, and we're gonna find out right away who the better fighter is, just based on how they both fight. You guys already know what Stephanie Egger brings to the table as the judo background. Even grappled with Ronda Rousey back in the day uh, at you know at, was it the Olympic Games or whatever. But she's a very credentialed judo player. But Aileen Perez, look, I know Aileen Perez hasn't fought anybody. I know Aileen Perez is coming from you know this regional scene where the level of competition is suspect. But I'm telling y'all. This chick don't play. And if, you, if you've ever dated an Argentinian chick or you've ever been around one, you know that they are feisty individuals. And this girl comes to this girl comes to fight. And even the one fight that she lost, which was a DQ, you know, you know what I really like? So she illegally knees this girl and knocks her out. And then she starts celebrating as if she won. And in her uh, uh in her Instagram profile, it says she's eight and oh, because to her, she won that fight. Like, I mean, listen, they got into a fight. One person knocked the other person out. So, you know, call it a DQ, you know, call it a loss all you want. That shit ain't no loss. Just like she wrecked uh, that girl, Dan. John, she John, John absolutely Jones, mauled her. John Jones didn't lose to Matt Hamill either. So, you know, it's yeah. one of those things. But basically, we're going to find out right away who's going to win this fight for the sole fact that Aileen Perez likes to be a bully in there. Aileen Perez likes to tie up right away, impose her physicality, get you down on the ground, big ground and pound, and, and dominate you. And the, and, that the good the good or bad news for stephanie egger is she's going to get the fight she wants she's going to get someone that's going to tie up with her right away and we're going to find out is stephanie egger going to be able to judo throw her or is stephanie egger going to get bullied in this fight so it's 50 50 in my eyes on which thing's going to happen but i know it's not going to play out 50 50 for it to play out minus three whatever for stephanie stephanie's got to go out there judo throw her arm bar her and be done with it but i have a feeling this girl aylin despite never fighting anybody She's physical, and her game plan specifically might be able to neutralize Egger. So I'm not sure, and I missed the plus 275, which I'm pissed about, but I think it's a dog or pass situation, my man, and uh, I'll actually pick uh, Aylin Perez, and it, it's either going to be idiot or G oh, Hey, chill out, uh, Leo. He, he's barking around. That means <laughs> Aylin's going to win. It, it's it's going to be either uh idiot or genius because she's either going to be able to dominate her with physicality or she's going to be put on her back and won't be able to get back up so we'll see what happens i'm gonna go with aylin perez for the upset man this is another one where we're gonna go ahead and disagree just a little bit but again we can't we can't get away from the fight breakdowns being roughly the same i see exactly what you're saying with perez and maybe she's the next big thing Maybe she deserves to be here. I think the recency bias swings in women's MMA are just maybe the most massive thing we've ever seen in sports betting. You go from being the hottest thing one week to being garbage and faded the next week. People are not high on Stephanie Egger after thinking that she's going to smoke everybody she fights for her last two, three fights in a row. 
The problem for me is that judo throw, man. It's a cheat code. You get these women that come in looking for the body lock. They want to tie up with you. If they don't know how to defend the judo throw, they're going for a ride. And while I think Perez is probably more well-rounded, maybe she's got the better MMA game, the higher ceiling. I don't know if she's got her seatbelt on Saturday. So if she comes in and she's able to, you know, maintain that base, if she knows how to stuff a judo throw, then yeah, she probably will beat Stephanie Edgar. But the way she fights, I don't think she's got a plan B. If she doesn't have an answer for that judo throw, I think she ends up on bottom. And even if she doesn't get subbed or tapped out or anything like that, she probably just loses minutes down there. I kind of think this is going to be a Stephanie Egger by decision type of spot. I hate the price tag because she's a very limited fighter, but I think this is an opponent where that game plan, that game plan can work perfectly. Yeah, and I mean, she might not have a plan B, but if uh, Egger wins the way Egger normally wins, then she might have to take plan B the next morning. But anyways, Clint, <laughs> I'm going to get you out on that note, my man. I know you got to run. I really appreciate you being here. The fans can follow you at Die Hard MMA Pod. Fucking love this guy. Always a pleasure. Let's do it again soon. Thank you, bro. You know the deal, Dan. The only reason we're, we haven't been on camera together for a while is because you had a big-ass test that you aced. I'm proud of you, buddy. Congratulations on that. Uh, we'll definitely get rescheduled and have you over on the podcast again sooner than later. Thank you for having me. It's always fun talking fights with you. I hope everybody uh, cashes some tickets and makes piles of money on Saturday in Paris. And let's go. Uh, let's share a baguette. Yes, sir. And enjoy the camping trip, brother. We'll talk soon, all right? Thanks, man. Catch you later. All right. Much love. See you, bro. So that's my boy, Clint. Y'all already know the deal. All right, so now I'm going to address the chat. I didn't address it throughout the, the show like I normally do just because my boy, Clint, was in a bit of a rush. Uh, so anyways, look at, let's, let's see what y'all have been saying. So my boy, MMA Locker Room, said, I'm only here to remind you that the Braves won the World Series. You know what I'm saying? Repping that Ronald Acuna shirt. Patty gave me a 1999 donation. Uh, 1999. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. That fucking means a lot to me. I need to figure out how to access those donations. I still don't know how to, but that means the world to me, man. Thank you. Jay Weezy also gave a donation. He said, love half the battle. Been a fan since the early days. Shout out to Dan. Shout out to Clint. Shout out to retired uh, co-host Shaq. Much love to Dan for getting these fighter interviews and getting the jujitsu game stronger. Man, thank you so much, bro. That really means the world to me. So thank you all. If you all know how to how I can access those donations, That'd be awesome because I still have them from like every single time someone's donated. I haven't I haven't been able to touch any of the money, which I would just do to. Look at this guy right here. Can you can you believe my boy Leo? He wants to thank you all for your generosity. But uh, nah, I mean, it would all be used to just improve the quality of the show and, you know, all that stuff. So it means the world to me that, you know, you donate, bro. Thank you so much. Um, he's He's begging me to get the fuck off the show, but I'll answer a couple more things. Um, let's see. My boy Dominic says, "Smash the like." You know what I'm saying? Smash that like. Smash that like. If y'all got any questions for me, leave them for me now. If not, I'm gonna get the fuck out of here. Um, but I truly appreciate y'all being here. Appreciate Clint being here as well. Um, and I had a lot of fun. Uh, my boy wants me to say, "Mike <laughs> I can't say it unless they're in London, bro. bro. We we only bust out the Grundies when when they go to the UK, but not right now. Um. But yeah, uh, someone said, am I selling digital real estate? Not uh, res residential and commercial. But first, let me pass my state exam. That's the plan. My boy Marcus in the house, Nubian Bookstore. Make sure y'all hit him out if you're in my city. Great show. Great store. Thank you, bro. Um, thank, thank all y'all for everything, man. Really, really sincerely appreciate it. Next time, I'm going to sit down and talk with y'all more. Post a link in here. Let y'all 
uh, he said Dan William Gomez is French, just FYI. Yeah, he lives in France, but he was born in Senegal, I believe. Wasn't he born in Senegal, Africa? I'm pretty damn sure, wasn't he? I know he lives in France currently, but wasn't in a situation like Francis Ngannou where he was born in Cameroon and then moved to France. This dude was born in Senegal, moved to France. I'm pretty sure that was the case, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, either either way, thank you all so much for everything. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. I'll be back uh, next week for UFC 279. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.